All right, friends, let's get going. Uh, I want to get us back into where we left off, but we left off a couple weeks ago because last weekend uh, we had our congregational meeting. So I want you to grab a Bible and let's go back to the, to the context of those Ten Commandments. Remember, we're trying to come back to these Ten Commandments really as a way of remembering the fundamentals, right? We never want to leave kind of the, the building blocks of what our faith is. And so uh, we want to come back to these Ten Commandments, but we want to do that in context. So grab your Bibles. Let's go to Exodus chapter 20. You're going to look at verses 1 and 2. Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 and 2. Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 and 2. Some of you are thumbing your way there on a digital device. That's just fine. That works. Exodus 20, verses 1 and 2. And this is, the, this is uh, really God revealing these laws to Moses, who's going to write them down and give them to the people of Israel. But here's the context, verse, verse 1 and 2. And God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. So I, I want to come back to these words, particularly of verse 2. I think sometimes, Pastor Adam mentions this in the sermon today, so if you're coming to late, this is like a bit of a cliff note for you, right? But the, the Ten Commandments, I think sometimes we forget the context of the Ten Commandments, is that God has already rescued his people Israel out of the hands of Egyptian slavery. In other words, God has already worked redeeming in them, right? He's already worked a kind of salvation for them. He's already come to rescue them. And so the Ten Commandments are built on that side of redemption, on that side of salvation, on that side of God's rescue. In other words, it's not the working of the Ten Commandments that gets us God's rescue, Right? Israel didn't have to do the Ten Commandments perfectly for God to intervene in Egypt and to rescue his people. Rather, God rescued his people out of his grace and in response to that has given them then these laws which Jesus in Matthew 22 helps us understand. So let's go back now to the New Testament just briefly to Matthew chapter 22. And again, two weeks ago we looked at this, but I it's worth <clears throat> revisiting because I feel, I feel like, church, there's like a slippery slope when we study the Ten Commandments that it just feels so heavy and so kind of law-oriented. It's easy to think those things. Uh, but Jesus is doing something different here. Matthew 22, starting at verse uh, 34 it says, but when the Pharisees heard that he, that's Jesus, had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus responds, he says to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great 
and the first commandment. Now, Jesus is doing something really beautiful here. He is summarizing, really, commandments number one through three. In other words, commandments number one through three are really about how it is we, as God's people, love God. And he is simultaneously speaking the words of Deuteronomy 6.4, which is called, uh, called the Great Shema. This is a, uh, really a word of Scripture that is spoken and repeated often by the people of Israel. Here, O Lord, our Lord is one, right? God is one. The Great Shema. And following the Great Shema in Deuteronomy 6.5 is, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. And so Jesus is trying to marry these things of Deuteronomy 6 and the first three commandments. But he goes on. He doesn't stop there. He goes on to say, And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. And so in verses 39 and 40, Jesus is summarizing commandments number 4 through 10. That as God's people, commandments 4 through 10 tell us how to love our neighbor like we love ourselves. So for Jesus, the law of God, the revealed law of God, the Ten Commandments, if you will, they're simply ways to love both God and our neighbor. That's how Jesus frames uh, the Ten Commandments. That's really important for us, I think, as we think about these Ten Commandments and how it is we're to interact with them today. I've got a question here. I, I want you as a table, just really briefly, like for a minute maybe, I want you to try to finish this sentence. The goal of spiritual formation is what? All right, for just a minute, and then we'll come back to it here. All right, just a minute. What is the goal of spiritual formation? The goal of spiritual formation is what? As a table, minute, minute and a half, what's the goal? How would you finish it? Go. It's good delegation happening at this table. You're going to talk for us. That's awesome. All right, how how are we going to finish the sentence? The goal of spiritual formation is, what's the goal? Love each other. Good, let's hang on to that. What else? Okay, love God. Good. Eternal life. Anything else? That's not the question I'm asking, Karen. <laughs> or is it the question I'm asking? So let, let's, let's talk just briefly then uh, to try to answer Karen's more astute question and then my less astute question. Spiritual formation is really nothing more than being conformed to the image of Christ Jesus. So as Paul talks about it in his epistles, he's going to talk about us being conformed to the image of Christ. Now, some of you are saying, well, Jesus, Jesus was God, so how can we be conformed into that? Hmm? But Jesus was also what? Human, right? 100% human, simultaneously 100% God, the two natures of Christ, mystery for sure. But nevertheless, 100% human. And we, by God's Holy Spirit, 
are being conformed into that image. We're being shaped more and more into the image of Jesus, that we begin to look like him, sound like him, behave like him. And so when Paul will talk about the fruit of the Spirit, right, of joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and self-control, we see all of that born in the person of Jesus, right? And so as we're shaped, right, as we're maturing in our spiritual formation, God's Holy Spirit is getting us more and more and more and more like Jesus, right, to conform us into that image. Secondly, and maybe to answer the goal of spiritual formation, one could say that the goal of spiritual formation is to be conformed into the image of Jesus. But it is also, and I think theologians throughout the centuries have really said that the goal of spiritual formation is to become a person of love. Like if we could put it on a pinhead, right? It's to become a person of love. Now, they're going to sort of give you a caveat. That means, of course, to love God, but also to love those around me. As, as I am conformed by God's Spirit into His image, I'm going to become a person of love. I'm going to love God and love people more and more. Right? More and more. The Ten Commandments on this side of salvation... Right? Jesus says this is how we love people. Us living by these principles and fundamentals is how, through God's Spirit, we are conformed into the image of Jesus and how it is we become people of love. It's hmm? why they matter. Right? We don't want to just jettison them because they're in the Old Testament. Right? They are actually how right, we live out being people of love. Let's do this. I'd love to keep a, a little bit of levity. And so uh, one to five here, small quiz on all world laws. Again, just true or false, all right? You just have to true or false, and we'll see how you do. So one through five. Number one, number one, in Finland, traffic fines are calculated as a percentage of the offender's income. True or false? In Finland, traffic fines are calculated as a percentage of the offender's income. Number two. In Canada, it is illegal to pay for items with all coins. In Canada, it's illegal to pay for items with all coins. Number three, in Missouri, this is for Aaron, who stems from Missouri, in Missouri, yellow margarine is illegal. <laughs> they keep it real in Missouri, <laughs> that's right. Number four. In England, it is illegal to die in the Houses of Parliament. <laughs> You're welcome. 
Number four. In England, it is illegal to die in the Houses of Parliament. Number five. In Denmark, it is illegal to drive without your headlights on. In Denmark, it is illegal to drive without your headlights on. All right, one more time. Let me recap them, and then we'll get the answers. Number one was in Finland, traffic fines are calculated as a percentage of the offender's income. Number two was in Canada, it's illegal to pay for items with all coins. Number three, in Missouri, yellow margarine is illegal. Number four, in England, it is illegal to die in the Houses of Parliament. And number five, in Denmark, it is illegal to drive without your lights on. So back to number one, in Finland, traffic fines are calculated as a percentage of the offender's income. True or false? That is true. Imagine. Imagine, yes. That's right, it's no problem. Uh, number two, in Canada, it is illegal to pay for items with all coins. That, of course, is... It's <laughs> a good question. It is true. I don't know who has the time to enforce it. I know. Well, plenty of places outside of the United States have coins with larger denomination, right? So you can pay in ways uh, that we don't. Number three, in Missouri, <laughs> yellow margarine is illegal. It's Wisconsin? Really? All right, so interestingly, anybody wants to know uh, the laws of Wisconsin, Lloyd is your man. Like, that's, that's really fantastic. Couldn't get it in Wisconsin. Uh, it is also true in Missouri. It is illegal in Missouri. I think I've had plenty of yellow margarine in Missouri, if I'm honest, so I don't know, again, how they enforce it. Number four, in England, it is illegal to die in the Houses of Parliament. That, of course, is, it is true. Can you imagine? <laughs> like They're trying to rush some lord out of the House of Parliament before he croaks, right? Like, just get out. You can't do it in here. All right? I have no idea how it works. Uh, in Denmark, it's illegal to drive without your headlights on. That, of course, is... That is false. It should be true. That should be. <laughs> Oh, I love it. Listen, our knowledge of margarine is far too high for me. Like, I, I'm, I'm not comfortable with how much you guys know about margarine and color packets. That, that physically hurts me. I love it. No, good job. How many of you got all five? Matt Briggs, you got all five? Hey, I take it, right? 
Take it for sure. All right, let's dive into this first commandment, and we're going we're gonna to do our best to get through quite a bit of this, but if we don't, then we're just going to tack it on to next week, and that's okay. Uh, the first commandment, if you were to go back to Exodus chapter 20, verse 3, uh, we would read this, you shall have no other gods. Right? That's the first commandment. Now, the classic and ever insightful question from Luther is, what does that mean? And so if you're reading out of a small catechism, this is the way, actually, that Martin Luther shapes his catechism. So he states the thing that is true, you shall have no other gods, and then he's going to ask the question, what does this mean? And his catechism then provides an answer of what does this mean. It means this. It means that we should fear. It means that we should fear, love, and trust God above all things. It means that we should fear, love, and trust God above all things. Uh, Luther, in his large catechism, so Luther writes a small catechism, which he designed really for parents, right, for the heads of household to teach their kids the faith. And then he wrote a large catechism, which expanded on the small catechism, really designed uh, for pastors, elders, and then those parents who had gotten through the small catechism, right, we get some large catechism. So Luther writes in the large catechism about this particular commandment and its meaning. He says, idolatry does not consist merely of erecting an image and praying to it. Now, if it's me, like I'm, I'm just underlining this because I think when we think of idolatry, most of us very quickly think that. Right? Uh, some of us might draw to mind like India and Hindu temples, right? Uh, there are statues that are erected and worship given to it. That, that is idolatry, uh, but that's not the whole of idolatry. So it doesn't consist merely of erecting an image and praying to it, though it does include it. But Luther says it is primarily a matter of the heart which fixes its gaze upon something other than God. Remember, the goal of spiritual formation is to be conformed into the image of Jesus, which is to become a person of love. And where does love stem? In the heart. And Luther says, right, idolatry is not just about erecting an image and praying to it, but it's a matter of the heart. And the heart will fix its gaze upon something other than God. And so some of the things that Luther notes in the large catechism, which were prevalent in his day, and I would suggest our day, some of the things which capture the attention and the affection of humans' hearts are this, money, property, learning, Wisdom, power, prestige, family, honor. And these are the things that Luther listed. He goes on to say, I repeat, the correct interpretation of this commandment is that to have a God is to have something in which the heart trusts completely. To have a God is to have something in which the heart trusts completely. 
So the question we ought to be asking already is do we love something, do we love something, do we trust something completely other than God? Do we put our love and our trust and our faith in something other than God to deliver? Now that, the answer to that should not take you long to arrive at. We absolutely do, me included. So I want to break this down a little bit more. What does it mean to fear, love, and trust God above all things? And we, I think we should talk and take a little extra time with fear because I, I think we want to understand that well. Now sometimes, um, I think sometimes commentators and theologians and maybe even pastors in the past have tried to sort of soften the blow of the word fear. Uh, sometimes you'll come across that what fear means is kind of a reverent awe, which I don't think is totally inaccurate, uh, but God can end us when he wants, for whatever reason he wants. We, we, we should have a healthy fear of God's power, authority, holiness, judgment. And so the scriptures, the scriptures don't try to soften the blow of fear, right? If we look at some of the scriptures here, they don't. So let's look at them and see what they're talking about. Let's look at Proverbs 9. So get into the Old Testament. This is the book of wisdom. So beyond the Psalms, Proverbs, uh, Proverbs 9, verse 10 So the the writer says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Here's what I want you to do at a table, again, for just like a minute, minute and a half. How are we to understand this phrase, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom? Why do you think a fear of the Lord is? is the beginning of being wise. All right, take a minute and a half. We'll come back to it, see what we can discover. All right, go. All right, come on back. How, how is a healthy fear of the Lord the beginning of our wisdom? What do you think, Lloyd? It's where you gotta start. True, why? So we've got to start here first. It says the beginning of wisdom. Uh-huh. So I put it, this is the X marks, the spot. This is where God says, this is where you start. Yeah. So we go from here. Yeah. So if we want to be people who grow into wisdom, we have to start with a healthy fear. Okay? What else? What else? Tammy? Yeah. So there is, there is the fear and then there's the outright fear. Yeah. But you're a pretty wise person, Tammy. 
<laughs> yeah, you, yeah, you did. Come on. Oh, I'm glad we're recording this. That's fantastic. That's going on every social media site, Tammy. That's fantastic. No, so it's interesting, right? It is interesting because some of us will have grown up in uh, in a context where fear, right, where fear is used actually, right? And used probably, I'm, I'm going to overgeneralize here, Tammy, so please correct me if I'm wrong, but I think fear is sometimes utilized in order to modify our behaviors. Right? To modify our behaviors. And remember, again, friends, this is why the context of the Ten Commandments members, uh, it matters, right? We come out of grace. God's redeemed us already. And so when we live in grace, then we follow his laws, Yeah. But I will say, Tammy, I think there are plenty of traditions, and ours is probably one of them, if I'm honest, who probably don't pay enough attention to the realities of hell and judgment and wrath. Hmm? So it's, I think it can swing either way. Right? Scriptures never get rid of it. They kind of hold those things in tension, which is really hard to do. Again, how, how is a healthy fear of the Lord the beginning of wisdom? What do you think? Yeah. It helps give us some awareness of our sin. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, just this awareness, uh, awareness of sin, right? So God's holiness can't tolerate sin. And having some understanding of that will show it to us. And in many ways then shows us uh, where it is we need Jesus to form us. Yeah, that's good. What else? Anything else? Yeah. 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 Yeah, so, so the comment here is it's about boundaries, right? In some ways, it, it tells us or reveals to us who's who and who's not, right? Like, who's the Lord and who's the human? Like, those are good things to separate, right? To remember those things. Let's press in just a little bit more. Let's look at the next one here. This is a great conversation. I don't think any of it's wrong, actually. Uh, so the next one is Matthew ten twenty eight. Uh, Matthew 10, 28. Now, I'm going to start at verse 26 and read into 28 a little bit so that we get there. He's, Jesus has just spent time really talking about the persecution that's going to come on account of people's faith. So Jesus, as he speaks to disciples, he speaks to those who are trying to follow the way, he says, listen, have no fear of them. For nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. And here it is. Do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. This is the gospel of the Lord. Again, Tammy, this is kind of to your point here, right? Um, sometimes fear, a, fel- a healthy fear, it's not just someone, in this case, Jesus is saying, who can end the body, but has no control of eternal life, but rather we should fear the one who has control of both body and soul. I think here in the West, unfortunately, we've downplayed hell as a reality, uh, and we shouldn't. We want to be careful to keep that in view. Uh, 
Uh, let's look at Psalm 96 as well. Last one here, Psalm 96. I have slowly and over time really come to appreciate the Psalms. I really enjoy the, the honesty of Psalm writers who when they're happy are very happy and when they're sad, they're very sad and when they're mad, they're very mad. Right? And when they're fearful, they're very fearful. Like they just write the human heart. Uh, Psalm 96, we're gonna look at verses four uh, through 13. Psalm writer says, for great is the Lord and he's great to be praised. Here's this phrase, he is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him, strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of peoples, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength, ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts, worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness and tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established and it shall never be moved. And he will judge the peoples with equity. And so let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exalt and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord. For he comes, he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and all the peoples in his faithfulness. I'm always struck by this psalm. I, like, I sort of get into the rhythm of it, like, yes, let the heavens roar, right? Let the seas speak out. Let the forest do some singing. Like, that sounds great to me because the Lord is coming to judge. Not so excited about that necessarily. Fear, fear in the scriptures is a healthy awareness of God's greatness and our smallness. In the scriptures, fear is a healthy awareness of God's greatness and our smallness. That he is the one who is sovereign and in control of all things. The beginning and the end, the alpha, the omega, the starter and the ender, A healthy fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Because it does two things. It tells us how great our God is and how small we are. And that actually is a gift of grace to us. What do we mean by love? So if it means we're going to have no other gods, we need to fear the Lord. What does it mean to love as well? So let's look at these in turn. John 14 15. So John fourteen fifteen. 
This is Jesus speaking. He's speaking actually about the promise of the Holy Spirit, which is uh, lovely considering the, the text here. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I'm going to ask the Father, and he's going to give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth in the world cannot receive because it neither sees nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Part of loving God is a keeping of his commandments, which, Jesus says here, is only possible with the help of the Holy Spirit. He talks about the other helper that the Father is going to send. In other words, church, we cannot become people of love or conformed into the image of Jesus apart from the work of the Holy Spirit in us. We cannot live out the commandments apart from the work of the Holy Spirit in us. So part of our love is keeping those commandments Part of that loving God is receiving and accepting the help that he provides in the work of the Spirit in us. Let's look at Psalm 73, back to the Old Testament. I have all over the Bible today. You're welcome. Uh, Psalm 73. Let's start at verse 25. Psalm 73, verse 25 says, Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My heart My flesh and my heart, they may fail, but God is my strength, the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Second half of verse 25, there's nothing on earth that I desire besides you. Uh, That's what it means to love God? How you doing at that? Uh, Loving God, right? is that he gets all of our attention and affection before anything else. All of my desires found in him. And then finally, John 21. So John 21, the very end of John's gospel Verses 15 to 19. So this is post-resurrection. Jesus is enjoying some breakfast with his disciples. I just, I I love that picture. Like, what's the resurrected Jesus going to do? Enjoy a good breakfast. A good breakfast on the beach. Since when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to them, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. 
And he said to him, well, then feed my lambs. And he said to Simon Peter a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend to my sheep. And he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. And this he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. This is a beautiful story of Simon Peter. You'll remember that um, Jesus predicts his death. And you'll remember that Simon Peter, who's often the person putting his own foot in his mouth, says, "Ah, listen, no matter what happens, I'll never deny you. And you'll remember that it didn't take but a hot second for Simon Peter to say, I don't know who that guy is. And in that moment, Simon Peter was looking to something else, something other than God, something other than Jesus, to deliver him, to save him, to rescue him, to keep him safe. In the moment of Simon Peter's denial, Peter becomes an idolater. His heart trusts in something other than God. What I love about this story is a story of grace as Jesus comes back to Simon and says, do you love me? Simon says, you know I do. Okay, then you have something to do, right? Tend to my sheep, feed my lambs. Uh, Jesus could have said, love the people around you. Jesus is calling Simon Peter's attention and affection. Do you love me? You know, when you were young, Peter, you got to go wherever you want, but there's a day that's coming when you are going to suffer because of my name. And in that moment, will your attention and your affection stay with me? It doesn't take long, again, as we kind of unpack the first commandment to begin to feel our lack, probably of fear, and our lack of love. If we're just honest, right, our attention and our affection goes lots of places before it goes to the Lord. Let's look at the last one, trust. At your table for about one minute, I just want you to answer this question. Is there a difference between faith and trust? And if so, what is it? Is there a difference between faith and trust? And if so, what is it? About a minute. All right? Go. All right. Is there a difference between faith and trust? And if so, what is it? What do we think? What? Okay. 
Whew, that's some heavy philosophy. All right, so Lloyd, Lloyd said faith is for adults, trust is for kids. Trust like in the backseat. The pastor's message about my kids, same thing, driving through Wisconsin. They weren't worried about the snowstorm, about going off the road, freezing to death. Yeah. Dad driving the car. Complete trust. Okay. Adults have a hard time. <laughs> we do faith. Okay, I'm going to come back to that. Scott? Okay. So, so faith is initial or kind of the beginning, and trust is something that happens over long term. Yeah. Anything else? That's good. Anything else to add? Yeah. I mean, I trust that you know, gravity is going to work, and I'm not going to like float up into space. But like, because you know it's happened every single day. But like, you know, I've never seen God. Yeah. I've never met Him. So. Yeah. So. Uh, it's beautiful, right? We trust in a sense of gravity. We'll get up and think our feet are actually going to get on the ground, right? I mean, hopefully they're going to get on the ground unless they're asleep and then you're on your knees. So that's weird. But nevertheless, like well, gravity is going to work. Haven't seen God, so I got to put some faith in that, right? When the scriptures talk about faith and trust, they make a distinction. And trust, well, let me start with faith. Faith is something that is happening internally, it's something that I have in my spirit. Trust, the words in the New Testament in particular, trust has associated with it action. So faith in the New Testament is really kind of a thing that's happening in us. And trust, trust in many ways, is our ability then to walk in action. But the scriptures are going to hold those two together, faith and trust. Faith is what we possess inside, and trust is moving in action because of the faith that's in us. And so if we just take, let's take Proverbs 3, uh, verses 5 through 10. Uh, we get this word trust, and in Hebrew, it's the same as in uh, New Testament Greek. It has trust to it. So, so Proverbs 3, uh, verses 5 through 10. Proverbs 3, verses 5 through 10. Uh, the writer says this. He says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Now you're thinking, oh, that sounds like an internal thing, right? Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. But here we'll start to hear it. And do not lean then on your own understanding, but rather in all of your ways acknowledge him. Here it is. And he will make you straight paths or your paths straight. Be not wise in your own eyes. Here it is again. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. That will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce and then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. I like this promise. But trust here, trust here is not just that I, that I have this kind of cognitive or even emotional feeling internally, but that I am willing to walk the paths of life wherever they take me. That I would honor the Lord with first fruit giving. That I would actually act that faith. So trust, trust is kind of sitting in the actions. Uh, the, maybe we could say this, trust is the 
outliving of our faith. So I've got one last one here for trust in Jeremiah 17. So just a little bit further in the Old Testament, go past Isaiah into Jeremiah. And Jeremiah 17, 7 through 10. The prophet writes, blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is in the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. I just love the imagery here, right? Of like a tree planted by water whose leaves will never wither, who's always bearing fruit. So that no matter what comes, drought doesn't matter. I can still act in faith. So to have no other gods is to fear and to love and to trust God above all things, right? that he gets our attention and our affections. We're going to leave it here with this. We should remember, and this is really important, the question is not, are we being formed? The question is, by what are we being formed? Because we are either being formed in the likeness of Christ to be a person of love who loves God with all they are and who loves their neighbor as themselves, who on the journey through life trusts God in their provision, their guidance, and their deliverance, or, or we are being formed to trust in and to give our affection to things like this, to our intellect, to technology, to medical advances, to human goodness, Religious devotion, money, possessions, food, drink, sex, sports, entertainment, politics, even the self. Culturally, we are being formed to trust in and give our affection probably to that list before the Lord. And so here's what I want you to do is sort of our, our last bit here. This is just personally, I don't want to show this at the table, but which of that above list do you most frequently place your trust in and give your affection to? In other words, which of these things do you put sort of faith and trust in, like that your hope is that they're going to deliver you from something, save you from something, rescue you from something, provide for you, right? One of them that I see regularly, and I'm just growing very weary of, is politics. If we just get the right politician then, right, we'll have utopia. But do, do, you, do you hear, 
in that language the sound and the affection of your heart. If we just get the right person in office then, they'll deliver me from whatever, right? They'll deliver our world from whatever. They'll save us from whatever. Now, you probably don't say that, but it is what your heart is thinking. As compared to, you know what we need? Jesus' kingdom to come more on earth. That will deliver us. That will save us. That will rescue us. And so again, culturally, we're being formed all the time to trust in and to put our affection into something. The question is what? Right? What are you being formed by? The first commandment of idolatry, right? It just, it just shows us our heart and the sickness of our heart pretty regularly, right? Our affections and our attentions are constantly being taken away from him, right? Now, there's good news, but we'll get to that next week, all right? So, you just get to hang out in that really heavy bit of the word. But let's do this. Let's pray. You'll bring that sheet back next week so we can finish up uh, this piece, all right? Uh, good Father, we say thanks. We say thank you that you love us with an everlasting love. And we say thank you that you are shaping and forming us into the image of Jesus. That you are shaping and forming us to have life and life to the full. That you are shaping and forming us to become people of love. And Lord, we know that that's not possible apart from the work of your Holy Spirit. And we know we know that we cannot be a people who love you with our whole heart, mind, and strength when our hearts are turned to other things for our salvation, for our deliverance, for our provision, for our happiness. And so, Father, when our hearts move that direction, we pray that you would turn us again to you, that like the prodigal son, we would come home into the arms of a father who's so ready to receive us, and so, Father, as we continue to be formed in this world, form and shape us first and foremost by the Word, by the Word made flesh, by Christ in us through the work of your Spirit. Shape us to be people of love, we pray in the powerful and the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.